Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Amen. Well, Psalm 25 is where we're picking up, and last week we went through, you guessed it, Psalm 24. Um, We looked at uh, the holiness of God how we approach God through sacrifice, through covenant. Um, In the Old Testament, it was the covenant of sacrifice of an animal that you would come into this relationship with God. It was through uh, a substitute, a sacrifice for you. And we still, under the new covenant, come to the Lord, uh, a holy God, by a substitute sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he is our access point. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 that he is the door into salvation, that he has made a way for us. Um, and so that's kind of what we, we also talked about the environment last week and how we as Christians are to treat the environment. And I didn't get any horrible emails from any of you about um, how awful I was through the environment. And, and let me just, again, clarify. Like, I, I hope it came off in a way that, that it was a blessing. The environment is God's. All that is in it belongs to him. The turtles, the doves, the ants, the every living creature is sacred uh, to God. He loves them all. Um, but animals never uh, are, are to come above human need, right? Uh, God's, God set humanity over creation as the height of its creation. That does not mean that Christians care less about the environment. They're like, you're yeah, diesel, God's guns and glory. And you're driving your F-350 and just being, you know, whatever. And dumping your, you're changing your oil in your driveway and dumping it down the drain. You're like, forget you dolphins or whatever. Okay. That's not what that means at all. It means that as Christians, knowing who made it, where it's come from, we should be good stewards of God's creation. That's what it means. We are to take care of it. We're to to, uh, steward it. We're to use it for for what God intended it for. It's never to be worshipped. It's never to be, uh, there's a cult of environmentalism that's coming through our, our world and it's leading towards um, Jesus leading people astray. Like we're never, we were never intended as the church to be a, a, an environmentalist driven entity. We are a Christ centered organism. We are centered on Jesus. We preach the gospel to souls because that's what will last for eternity. But it doesn't mean that we hate the environment and that, you know, you, whatever. Every, if you drink out of a straw, like you're going to hell. That, that's not a thing. You can drink out of a straw and be fine. Um, it doesn't mean you hate turtles or whatever. Okay? That's enough of the environment. But we should be good stewards of it. Praise God. If you like surfing, you should be a good steward of, like, it's disgusting out there sometimes. You know? Anywho... Let us now, right? We were talking about like eating bugs now and like cricket flour and like this is the new way of protein and like, you know, Nicole Kidman saying that this is what we do now. We eat bugs and it's like, yeah, a third of the world eats bugs because they can't afford anything else because they're poor. Like, uh, you know, that's, that's the reason they eat bugs, not because they enjoy it. It's because they can't afford, you know, food. And so they find crickets and animal, other creatures that are readily available and they eat those. Nicole Kidman. Um, (laughs) Not everyone can afford to eat like you or whatever. It's just, 
Stupid. It's stupid. It's all. It's all. Anyway, stupid politics and whatever. It's so dumb. That's why we have the Book of Psalms. The Book of Psalms is what connects us. It connects theology to reality. It is connecting theology to reality. What we know of God to what we know of reality, right? What we know of God is holiness, his goodness, his might, his power, his omniscience, all of these things that we, we find within the book of Psalms. Speaking of who God is, it directs us all to, uh, also to how we are to live because of what we know of God. Okay? It's where theology meets reality. And you will read of, of David and some of the other writers who are having some of the worst days of their life and they're explaining to God just how horrible their day has gone. And then they come to the end of it and be like, but you're God and I'm not. You're in control. I'm not. I trust in you. Right? How many of you have had days like that? Where you're like, I'm out of Chick-fil-A. I'm done. I can't work here anymore. And you like throw your apron in your car and you're, <laughs> you're like, I can't do this anymore. Like, God, I, where, where are you? You've forgotten me. I, I'm covered in nugget grease and, and I, like, I have no direction. I'm not, blah, blah, blah. And then finally you like sit down for a second and you're like, oh, God, you're good. Like, you're, I'm breathing. I have clothes on my body. Like, I have food. It's Chick-fil-A because I work there and I eat for free or whatever. But you're good. Like, and you're taking care of me. And um, that's why it's so funny when you read the book of Proverbs and it's so all over the place. And you're like, this guy was just, this is Solomon's Twitter account. It doesn't make any sense. Like, at one minute, he's, like, praising God, and he's like, but don't eat too much honey because you'll get sick and throw up. And then it's, that's how the book of Proverbs reads, and you're like, what are you talking about? How does this even connect? Isn't that just like your day? Isn't that how your day goes? We're like, God, you're so good. You're amazing. Oh, man, I'm starving. I, I shouldn't eat too much. I'm going to throw up. And it's like all these things up and down and, like, weird. That's what Proverbs reads about or reads like. And so the book of Psalms is where theology and where we know of God meets uh, our everyday life in reality. And what we know of Psalm 25 is this. David was going through a hard time. We don't know anything else about it. We don't know uh, the time period in which he's writing, what's going on exactly at the time in which he's writing. But we know from this psalm, as we read it, he's going through something difficult. So verse 1 says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let, my enemies triumph. Let not my en enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed, and let those who uh, let those be ashamed who deal treacherous, treacherously without cause. In verses one through three, as you read it, you come to realize that David's going through a difficult time. David, although he was the anointed king over Israel. He was the rightful king over Israel, right? He's, he's the next in line. At this, uh, in, in the history, if you read the book of, of 1 and 2 Samuel, it's the history or kind of the story of David's life. David is the anointed king when he's a child, when he's very young, but doesn't step into that role till later in his life. You remember there's a king on the throne. His name was Saul. Saul started off really well, was, was doing really good. He was following the commands of the Lord. And then he got really into like Saul and like the greatness of Saul and how awesome Saul is. He was seven feet tall, like this big, illustrious man and was very into himself and the glory of Saul. And remember, he, he didn't obey the Lord. 
And one day he made a sacrifice to God, which is something a king was never supposed to do. He was supposed to wait for Samuel, and, and he didn't. He jumped the gun. He got ahead of the Lord, and God said, Samuel, I'm done. I'm done with Saul. And Samuel pronounces over Saul like, like you're done. And, and, and it's over for you. You're no longer going to be king. And as, as Samuel is walking away, Saul grabs his robe and it rips. And Samuel says, as, as you've ripped my shirt, thank you very much. As you, look at this. Look at this mess. Did you see this? <laughs> look at what you did. No, he said, as, as you've ripped my robe here, so the kingdom shall be ripped from you. And from that point, Saul was looking out who the next king would be. He became super paranoid, crazy paranoid. And then he locked on and realized it was David and sought to then kill David um, and chased him for, um, I think at one point, David left uh, Israel. And when he left, he would not see that place for nine years like was running for his life, living in caves, hiding from Saul, and Saul was trying to kill him. Like that's, that was his main goal. Remember when David would play worship for Saul because this like spirit would come upon him and he would get just kind of insane and David would play worship songs that he would write, perhaps Psalms, and he would re, re, you know sing these over Saul. And at one point he, in a, just a jealous rage, Saul picks up a spear and tries to pin David against the wall. He did it like three times, okay? The guy was insane. Perhaps that's what's going on when David's writing this psalm. He's in a cave, not surrounded by like all these great people who are like, David, I just was moved by the Holy Spirit to be here. He's surrounded by thieves and robbers and guys who were in so much credit card debt that they ran for their life. Like they were living in their mom's basement and the IRS found them or whatever. And they're like, ah, and they run and they all come to David. And they're all, basically the Bible calls them losers. We're surrounding David. That's who they were. They become David's mighty men and, and they're incredible warriors and all these things, but there's a bunch of losers at first. Here they are all surrounding David. And he's like, what God, what are you doing? Like I was, I'm supposed to be King. I serve you. I write you songs. Um, I love you. <laughs> I killed a giant one time. No big deal. Also carry like bears and lions and whatever. And here I am all because you anointed me as King running for my life. Um, so maybe that's what's going on. As David became king, he had a lot of family issues. His own kids like just went nuts. Like um, you can read about it because it's super gross. Like some of the things that his sons did and, and uh, Absalom tried to steal the kingdom from him. Uh, he was constantly fighting off Philistines and all these different kinds of, of people that were coming against David to try and take him off the throne and to kill the, the, the nation of Israel. So Maybe that's what's going on in the psalm. We're not sure. But to know, uh, just to go through the history of David's life, the guy went through some difficult stuff. He was constantly attacked. You read Psalm 22, and he says, bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. It talks about like these demonic presence that have come around him or mocking him. It speaks of, uh, it's a messianic psalm that, that speaks of the prophecy of Jesus there on the cross where the demons would surround him there and begin to mock him from uh, as he hung there on the cross. But, Psalm 25 is, it, what we do know is that David's going through something hard. But like all of us that go through something hard, if you haven't gone through anything difficult in your life, you will. We experience trial and tribulation, like was read tonight. Though you may go through trial and tribulation in this life, Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world, right? 
So the promise is that we will experience difficulty. It's just part of life. It's part of the fallen world we live in. Stuff happens and life is hard. Like if, if, you've, if you thought it was something else or was going to be something else, let me destroy the bubble in which you've been living in. It's hard. Whether you know God or you don't know God, it's hard. It's easier when you know God and you're walking with Jesus. That's for sure. But it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Life is difficult. That's just the nature of it. We live in a fallen world. Things are hard. Stuff happens. Things go wrong. Things break. Uh, uh, relationships shut down. Your hopes and dreams of being that NASCAR driver are destroyed for the fact that you just are, you can't drive or whatever. Or whatever dream you thought you would have. You're like, I'm going to be an astronaut. And then NASA shuts down. And there are no more astronauts. And you're like, come on, or whatever. Ah, I wanted to be a cowboy. And like, those don't exist or whatever, or whatever dream you had gets shut down. If that's ever happened to you, you're like, my dream was to dunk a basketball. And then I realized it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Big man, you know, like little legs, short arms, a, a human manatee. It's what you're looking at. Like, it's just not going to happen. I'm not jumping in any like 10 foot rim. It's just not going to happen. Life's tough like that. You don't always get what you want. This is what I tell my children. Like, we didn't get, yeah, life stinks sometimes. Like, deal with it. You don't always get what you want. Do you think this is what I want? You think I want to drive this and go to this practice and sit in the heat and watch? No. But that's life. Deal with it. Obviously, <laughs> I've got some stuff going on in my heart that I am dealing with. But here's the point. David knows what it's like to go through something difficult. The guy went through something hard. And as he writes, we begin to see, just like David, he begins to ask questions of God. And, and like all of us, we ask questions. But look at verses 16 through 19. Uh, if you read on, this is what he's talking about. He says, turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for, wait, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. And so as you read it, you realize that David's going through a difficult time. And what he asks is, and what I think we all begin to ask is, God, what are you up to? And why is this happening? What are you up to and why, why is this happening? If I could see the end, then okay, I can begin to understand. But the fact is, is a lot of times we don't see the end. And so we're left kind of just waffling back and forth of, of what is this all meaning? And why is this, what is the point of all this? I believe Romans 8, 28. Like, I believe it. God works all things together for good for those who love and recall according to his purposes. I believe that verse, but I can't see where this is going to work out and how this is going to work out and when this is going to work out. But if God, if you would just reveal that to me, I would begin to understand and I would have peace in my heart. But that's not always what happens or how it goes. So, like David, what did he do? He sought the Lord. Now, we can say these kinds of things in church, like, brother, 
brother or sister, you know what you need? Get on your face and seek the Lord. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Have you sought Jesus? <laughs> have you like, have you done that today? And you're like, uh, yeah, I think. You know what you need to do? You just need to wait on, the, oh, you know what you need to do? <laughs> you just need to wait on the Lord. That's the key. That's the answer right there. Just wait on the Lord. Is there anything more frustrating? When you're going through something difficult, someone's like, you know what you need to do? Just wait. <laughs> Thank you for that word of encouragement. You solved all of my problems. You know what? You did it. <laughs> that helps so much. A, I know exactly what you're talking about. And B, gives me so much peace. When the reality is, is A, I have no idea what it means to wait or seek the Lord. And B, that's not helping. Because I'm in pain. And the natural reaction of every human being is to get out of or away from pain, right? We love the path of least resistance, like water. That's why water moves and bends. When it hits an obstruction, where does it go? Somewhere else, around, the easy way. Like, it, it doesn't just like, you know what? I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. <laughs> it's like, no, there's, there's got to be a different way, an easier way, a back, I don't know. That's what the human condition is like. We Hate, I hate, included in all of this, I hate pain. I hate waiting. Waiting is the most painful thing in the world. It, it's awful. No one enjoys going to Disneyland to just simply wait in lines. What gets you through the line is the fact that there's an end to it. At the end is a corn dog. And so I will wait <laughs> through this line to get to that point because I know there's hope in that. No one goes to the end of the corn dog line and is like, oh, I didn't want anything. I just really enjoy standing in lines. I love waiting. It's my favorite. No one ever. And if you, if you ever meet someone like that, they're wrong, they're wrong and they're sick and just something's, call the police. Okay? So what does it mean? That's what we're going to look at tonight. What does it mean to wait on the Lord and to seek the Lord? Because like you, I ask the same question. What does that even look like? When someone says, have you waited upon the Lord? Have you sought the Lord? And you're like, I think so. Like I prayed in my, in my Camry today, like that God would meet me or help me. Or like, am I really, what if I'm not really seeking the Lord? And, I'm, I'm, and I'm, that's all I needed to do, but I'm not really doing it. Oh man, then I'm, I'm, I'm ruining the whole universe. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord and to seek the Lord? Well, Verse three, David says this, indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. So, so in Psalm 40, he also writes, I waited patiently upon the Lord and he heard my cry. I waited patiently upon the Lord. So there's this theme running throughout the book of Psalms where David says, I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm, I'm patiently waiting for God to speak. I'm patiently waiting for God to work and to move. How does that look in our life practically? It, it means simply this. If you're taking notes, number one, here's what it means. Don't get ahead of the Lord. That's number one. Like, What does it mean? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, don't get ahead of him. Don't get ahead of them. This is the greatest temptation of all of us is to like fix it and like get ahead of what God's doing. 
And so often we run ahead and try and make it better. Like it's like going on a hike with someone who doesn't know the right directions, but you do. Has that ever happened to you? My kids always run out ahead of me and they have no idea where we're going. You know, and you're like, where are you going? That's all the time. They'll be going the wrong direction. Where are you going? Oh, and they'll turn around and come back. And I'm like, we have to go this way. Oh, oh. and then they'll do it again. They'll run ahead. And I'm like, hey, it's this way. Where are you going? Oh, and they, and they go back. It's like the whole hike is like me just going, where are you going? Why are you in ahead of me? You don't know where you are going because you've never been here before. And you're like, ah, that's funny. You do the same thing to the Lord all the time, don't you? God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm getting out of Tinder, woo, or whatever. And you're like, I got this. I got this. And God's like, what are you doing? You've never gone this way before. Why don't you just wait on me? Stop trying to get ahead of me. Let me do it. Just wait. There's so many instances of the, in the Bible where this happens. You remember on the, uh, the apostles before Pentecost, after Jesus raises from the dead, and he's there, he meets them, and he tells them, do not leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And if they didn't understand wait, he says, another word, he says, I want you to tarry, which is to stay put. Don't move. Do not get ahead of the Holy Spirit. There's another instance where um, after Judas had committed suicide and hung himself, that they sought to fill that place of the, the apostle. Like, we need to fill this, this position. And so Peter gets everyone together. And what does he do? He makes a rule. Like, no one can be an apostle unless you've been here since the baptism of John, which is funny because that eliminates Matthew, who was an apostle, and that eliminates everyone except two guys, Matthias and I can't remember the other one. So then he adopts a, a Old Testament method of drawing straws. There's a long straw and a short straw, and these guys pick whoever gets the long straw is the new apostle. What happened? Peter makes a rule. And then he adopts some old method. And he just gets ahead of the Lord. Was God concerned about filling that position? Absolutely. Did God have a plan and intent for filling that position? Absolutely. God's going to knock a guy off his horse to do it. But what happened? Peter gets ahead of the Lord. So often, and I say it tongue in cheek, like this is hard to do. As, as people, we want to like Google it, like just right? I'm going through some, yeah, that, that's where, yep, got it, done, fixed it, just Googled it, and so I don't even need to pray about it, because I just Googled it, it fixed all my problems, <laughs> done, yeah, I'm just going to get a job, boom, got it, like, or whatever, or, or, or how, however that looks for you, listen, part of waiting on the Lord is simply, number one, not getting ahead of the Lord, the hardest thing to do sometimes is to just sit back and let God orchestrate things. It's one of the hardest things. You just sit back and say, God, like I trust you. Now there's a difference between actively waiting and just being lazy, right? If you're like, I'm just waiting for God to bring that job. You're like, well, did you go on an interview? Have you put out any, like, have you tried anything? Nope. Just sitting on my couch playing Fortnite for the last 30 days, but I am waiting and I'm not moving. Like that's not what that means at all. That's not, that's not biblical. That's, that's, that's called being lazy, right? That's, that's against the word of God. 
Like the Bible talks about the sluggard. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Proverbs, uh, one of the chapters. I can't remember. But it talks about laziness. Like that's different. There's a difference between actively waiting in the Lord and and seeking his face and waiting on God and, and holding back and saying like, God, this is what I think I should do. And I think this is where I'm going, but I'm gonna sit back and I'm just gonna wait a minute. I'm gonna wait a minute. Maybe two minutes. I'm going to let you begin to work and orchestrate things. Man, that's one of the hardest things to do. But what does David say in verse 1 or verse 2? Oh, my God, I trust in you. I trust in you. Part of waiting on the Lord is God exercising your trust in him. It's exercising it. If you don't exercise something, it grows atrophied. It doesn't build its strength. It begins to dwindle. And so God will allow waiting times and waiting period. We're just waiting on him and God's saying, I'm I'm strengthening your trust in me. I'm strengthening your faith in me. Do you believe that you believe that you believe that I'm a good God and I got you? It's super hard, super hard. Because I feel like like Eve and every other person who's come after her begins to doubt whether or not God is really that good. Like, God, are you really that good that you actually care about me? Or you're on the other spectrum where you're like, God, I know that you're like, I am your number one concern because I'm amazing. And so, like, I don't know if you've noticed yet, but I'm in some trouble here. So if you could, like, get back up here so I could win things for your kingdom, that would be great. (laughs) If you didn't know, I'm amazing or whatever. So pride can also be, be stupid. So what does he say? I lift up my soul. Verse one to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Part of waiting upon the Lord or seeking the Lord is like what he says here. I'm bearing my soul unto the Lord. When someone says, I'm just burying my soul, what are they saying? Like, I'm telling you everything about me. And sometimes you're like, oh gosh, like, don't tell me. I'm about to bear my soul right now. And you're like, hold on, hold on, hold that thought. Let's just wait on God about this right now. Are you sure you want to? Oh man, you went there. (laughs) I can't unhear that. (laughs) Oh, thank you. There's sometimes I get prayer calls from people all over the United States. And for some reason, they trust me on the other side of a phone and they don't know who I am. They've never met me before. And they're like, are you a pastor? I'm like, yes, I am. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Like short prayer requests. How can I help you? Oh, let me tell you. In 1984, it all began. And you're like, oh my gosh. And the things that they'll tell you, it's like, I need a toothbrush in like both my ears, like Paddington bear style. And just, ah, what's happening? They're burying their soul. Meaning, I'm about to tell you things that I've never told anybody else. What does David say to the Lord? Part of waiting upon the Lord and seeking the Lord is to bear your soul to the Lord, to share from the deepest part of your life. David does not come to the Lord with all this poetry and flowery speech. He just simply is honest before the Lord and he pours out his heart to the Lord. Guys, when you pray and when we seek the Lord, it is not a time in which you have to pr- approach God in, a, in your speech with like this, this, I don't know, rhetoric of like, I can't be honest and tell God what's really going on. If you're frustrated, tell God you're frustrated and why you're frustrated. Tell, tell him, like, he's not surprised or shocked. It's not like he's like, I had no idea you had that thought. That is disgusting. 
You freak of nature. He's like, I know, I know. Why don't you just keep bearing your soul? Tell me all about it. Be honest before the Lord. And what's so funny is often we pour out our heart or bear our soul to, to like Facebook. And you Facebook post, if that's still a thing, or MySpace. I'm just kidding. Or you Instagram this post of like, you and then this rhetoric of like all the things of you're like bearing your soul to the internet and anyone else who will listen that's around you and they're like how are you brother and you're like let me tell you you tell everybody and anybody except the one who has the power to do something about it he's the last thing we go to often like I bear my soul to the guy at 7-Eleven who's like ringing me up for my Slurpee and you're like, and then she said, <laughs> you wouldn't even believe it. <laughs> I just got through this breakup and the guy's like, that'll be 475. You're like, oh man. <laughs> I feel like we're really connected. What's your phone number? Uh, it's the stupidest thing ever. But it's what we do. It's what we do. Like, I'll tell anybody and everybody except God. Like, I'll tell anyone, but I just won't pray about it. Why is that? I'm not really asking. I'm going to tell you why. I, here's why I think why we do this. A, it's therapeutic. B, we do not believe in the power of prayer. Like, we, we, I'm going to say I. I sometimes don't believe that God would care about it. So why air it out? Like he, he's got a lot to do. Ukraine, Russia, that whole thing. Monkeypox, like there's all this stuff going on in the world. The last thing he needs is for me to like bear my soul about like these little insecurities that I have. And so because of that, I don't pray. I doubt whether or not God really cares about what's going on in my life which it couldn't be further from the truth. Like, who tells you that kind of stuff? It, what's weird is it comes in your own voice, but who's really whispering that to you? The devil. Because he knows there is power in prayer. He knows that for, for, like, he knows that for sure, that there is such power in praying unto the Lord and asking God for help and asking God uh, to, to intervene on your behalf and, and speaking these things to the Lord. He knows that, and so he'll keep you from it as much as he can. And so part of seeking the Lord for us is lifting up our soul and bearing our soul, pouring out our soul unto the Lord and what's going on in our life. And then the next thing is, you know, listen to the Lord, right? So you, we, we, we throw all this out there and like, God help me. And then you're like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> Good talk. Part of prayer is it's a two-way conversation that involves you listening for the voice of God. It's still, it's small, but he will speak back. God will answer. And sometimes it's not the answer we want. His voice sounds a lot like his word. So if you're praying about something and you're like seeking God through his word and, and seeking him through prayer, and you're like, man, this verse is crazy. This is speaking to my heart. And, it, and it, the voice of God sounds a lot like his word. Just how it goes. God speaks through his word to us. That's why the psalmist writes, uh, seeking the Lord is in, or sorry, verse four and five. If you read verse four and five, he says, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. On you, I wait all the day. So he's seeking the Lord. One of the ways we seek the Lord is through 
his word. It's found, where, where are you going to find God's ways, God's path? Where are you going to find his truth? Where is he going to teach you these things? It's his word. It's his word. This is where it's found. It's, it's in God's word. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 105, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Lord, I'm seeking you. I don't know what to do. Where, where do I go? God, this is what's going on in my life and I'm listening. God, now I'm, I'm listening to your voice. What do you want me to do? Lord, where are you going? What is the direction that you're leading? Why is this happening? All these things. And then God says, my voice will sound like my word. I'm going to teach you my ways. That's why the more familiar we are with God's word and the more you read your Bible on your own, even if you're like, man, I just don't always understand. Like I hate reading because I reading in my own voice. Has ever happened to you? You're like, oh, like <laughs> Like George Costanza, when he can't read, so he gets books on tape, and then the guy on the tape sounds like George. He's like, oh, come on! You know, like, um, <laughs> Seinfeld's where I get all my theology. But you remember, it's, it's that part, like, I, I have a hard time reading, or I just don't understand, or whatever. When I read the Bible, it sounds weird. Guys, the more familiar you are with it, the more you will realize when a situation comes that the Word of God is written on your heart, and therefore you begin to just like, oh, it's this. Oh, it's this way. As a Christian, this is how I'm supposed to handle this because I remember in God's word, it said this. It does not return void. It sticks. It's crazy. It's crazy how much God's word works in our life. And so the voice of God sounds like his word. And when we're praying, God, show me your ways and teach me your paths, it's found in his word. The best way to combat lies is through knowing the truth. As God teaches you his truth. Did you know that the you don't have to go... Um, to Bible college, like to learn how to read the Bible and like how to understand scripture. Do you know that all of us have a built-in tutor for it? It's called the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when I go, I will send you my helper who will lead you into all truth. And if you're saved, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've been filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will begin to teach you and unlock and help you to understand what God's will is and what God's Word says. It's built in. It's given to you. So if you're intimidated by Scripture, you're like, I don't know. I just don't know. Start reading the Gospels. Start reading about the life of Jesus. Start reading it and watch. God will teach you. His Holy Spirit will teach you. As you're in community and in fellowship and around other Christians, God will teach you through other Christians and other believers. God's spirit has been given to us for the instruction of the believer. Now, verse 6 and 7, he talks about now the attitude of the heart. So as you're seeking the Lord or you're waiting upon the Lord, what should be the attitude of our heart? Um, I don't know about you, when I'm waiting, I have a bad attitude. Um, so this is the right attitude. Verse 6, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to your mercy. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. We need to, the heart or the attitude of the heart, is one that remembers and is reminded that God is good, that he is merciful, and that he loves us. So as you're waiting upon the Lord and you're seeking the face of God and your attitude is starting to get out of whack, the attitude of the heart is, God, I know that you love me, that you're merciful to me, that you care about me. God, I believe 
that what your word says, right? That's what David says. I want, Lord, I want you to remember that you are a God of mercy. Like he, he appeals to God's eternal nature. He says, you've always been merciful. This is who you are, God. Lord, I want you to remember that you're loving kindness towards me. God, you are loving kindness. That's who you are. It's a part of, of, of your nature that God, you are love. Therefore, this is what you, you will always be. They're from old, he says, right? For they are from old. These are God's eternal attributes. God is omnibenevolent. God is always merciful. He's always been. God doesn't wake up on a Thursday and he's like, today I shall be eternally merciful. It had no beginning. It has no present beginning and it has no end. God is mercy. He was mercy and he will forever be mercy. God is love. He was, is, and will forever be. Like, this is what David is saying. I need to remind myself as I'm going through these difficulties, as I'm going through hardship, that God loves me. He cares for me. And his mercy is available to me. Because the devil will lie to you and tell you, no, man, not for you. It's for a lot of other people, but not for you. Not in your situation. Not, not, not you. There, there's, a, there's a clause in which, where you forgot, like, because of this, that God's not going to do that for you. And David says, I'm going through something so difficult right now. God, would you remember? I remember. But maybe you forgot. He's just very honest with the Lord. Like, maybe you forgot about uh, me for a minute or two. But God, I want you to remember again. But what happens as you go on, as you read on, verse 8, it says, God... Uh, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. God wants to do a work in all of us, and he does it through different tools, but one of the works that God always wants to do in his followers is he wants to humble us, to bring us low. That's what it means. Not to like bring you to this low point in your life, and he's like, finally, <laughs> It happened. I've broken you like a mule, right? Sounds so like sick. But he wants to make us humble like Jesus was. That's the point. Not to the point of you being destroyed and your life destroyed. Not humiliate, okay? But to humble. To make us more like Jesus. And he says, it's the humble that he guides in justice. And the humble he teaches his way. I can't tell you how many times where I'm, I'm in the middle of something and I'm not even thinking about my pride, but that is the root cause of what's going on. Like the pride of my life tells me that I don't deserve to be going through this because I'm me. <laughs> it's a little too honest. Like I, I don't, are you kidding me? Why am I going through this? I deserve or whatever. I should, and I don't deserve to be going through this. What's happening? Oh man, I'm super egotistical and prideful. You know what I do deserve? Man, I deserve hell. That's what I really deserve. But anything that comes that's not that is a blessing from God. Man, we all deserve hell. The, the, the end result of sin is death forever, eternal. But God gives us grace and mercy through his son, Jesus. Man, God's doing a work in his followers, and a lot of times it's, it's humility. It's humility. He does it through different ways and different tools, different avenues, different situations. But it's to make us humble more like Jesus. And it's not super fun. Not the funnest thing. 
but super necessary. That's why 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 6, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's good advice. Good advice. God resists those who are proud. He gives grace to the humble. Uh, and we'll wrap it up here in verse 12. It says, <clears throat> Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. The last thing, as we're seeking the Lord, as we're learning what it is to wait on the Lord, right? We're to wait on the Lord. He wants to work in our life. He wants to uh, let us humble uh, or become humble. The last thing here is as we are learning to seek the Lord and to wait on the Lord is this. We need to fear the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom, book of Proverbs tells us. That's where it starts. Not in like the, and someone put it this way, and I thought, man, that's a good definition. The fear of the Lord is to be afraid of God. <laughs> but not in the sense that God's going to misbehave, right? I remember like being so, uh, my dad was a large, a large man. And like as a kid, you'd be like, everything's going well. And I have three older brothers. And so you ever realize like dad's done. Has that ever happened to you? Like you come to this realization, like dad's done. And I know that because there's a sandal being flung at my head right now. Like dad's done, right? My kids have seen when dad's done. Like everything's fine. We're having fun. And I'm like, hey, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, that's it. <laughs> Sound of belt, like belt, clearing belt loops, you know, <laughs> it's terrifying. Run for your life. We've all experienced like that moment. where are like, oh, you're done. It's, that's not how it is with God. God's not like, you better fear me because at some point I'm going to be done with you and your antics and your ridiculousness. Like, I'm coming after you. That's never, that's not what that means. That God's walking along with you and he's like, yeah, I'm just, we're having a great time, but like, now I'm going to kick your butt. It's never that way. God does not misbehave according to his character. What it means is that God is God and you are not. Therefore, be afraid. Like, God is sovereign. God is big. God is mighty. God is all-powerful, right? What does it say in verse 24, or, or chapter 24? They say, who is this king of glory? They ask the question, who is this king of glory? He is the Lord Almighty, meaning he is Yahweh Almighty. He is all-powerful God. Who is this king of glory? They ask the question again. He is the Lord strong in battle. And they ask the question again, who is this king of glory? And he says, he is the Lord of hosts or the Lord of all angels. This is what we're talking about when we say the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, realizing that God is God and you are not. And so I come under his authority and say, God, whatever you will, whatever you desire. Trusting in his character as well. That's what Job, you know, that's what happened with Job. Remember at some point, Job's like, I've done nothing wrong, right? Which is all our reaction. Like, why is this happening to me? Like, I've done nothing. Like, I've, all his friends are like, there's got to be some secret sin, Job. 
Come on, fess up. And he's like, no, like there's nothing. I'm covered in boils. Like that's what's going on. All my kids are dead. Um, my life is gone. My house is gone. And all I have is this nagging wife that God left. Like take her, God. But like, no, you took my camels like, instead. Like I love camels or whatever. But, but he has this whole thing of like, I've done nothing wrong. In a court of law, I would be held up. Like my, I'm as clean as the preacher sheets is what Job says. I've done nothing wrong. I'm clean. I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. And he asked God, why are you doing this to me? Why have you allowed this to me? God doesn't give him an answer. God doesn't say, well, we rolled the dice. And me and the devil had like this deal and I rolled the dice on you and, and that's kind of what happened. He doesn't give him an answer. What does he tell Job? Where were you when I made everything? Can you hook a Leviathan in the mouth? Did you make the sea? Do you hold it with the, the palm of your hands? Oh, oh, that's right. You don't. I do. And Job says, I've spoke too soon. I've spoke things too wonderful for me. You are God, I am not. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. God's never going to act outside of his character with you. He's never going to get fed up with you. And finally, he's like, that's it. Done. I've had enough. But what has David said? As I wait on you, Lord, I believe. 